Well, good evening. We once again give honor to our God, the one who is worthy of all praise and glory. We do magnify Him, and I'm grateful for the privilege God's given me and Terry to be back with you again, brothers and sisters, and have the opportunity to fellowship. Surely did enjoy the morning and as well the afternoon, the time at the table, and appreciate the efforts, especially as our brother Kevin mentioned of Dietra and Rhonda to prepare that uh, splendid repast that we had. It was it was certainly good, and, uh, and and you know, I may not be the best judge. But one thing I know is my wife is the, one of the best judges of good cooking I know, and she <laughs> she sure enjoyed herself like I did this afternoon. I said that somewhat tone, family planning in cheek. If y'all missed that, but anyway, we are thankful. I want to invite you to turn with me tonight to Galatians chapter five, and uh, we want to read together from that chapter. The uh, verses that in the chapter, beginning at verse 13 and reading through to verse 26. And uh, the words are familiar in part here because of the fact that these are the words that list the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. We want to focus particularly on that aspect of the passage. Obviously, we will mention it, but we want to uh, look at the larger context there of verses 13 through 26 and considering together the things that we read here. and As we do, by way of a title, I would give you this. The Colossal Struggle. The Colossal Struggle. Paul speaks about one that confronts us, and uh, we want to think together about it. Let's read then at verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. 
Trust that our God will add his blessing tonight to this portion of his word of truth to our soul's good, but as well to his glory and the honor of his son. May we just together pray and ask his blessing. Father, we do bow once again before you in the name of our Savior. And as we do, we ask of thee that thy aid would be ours tonight. Not only as we read and look at this portion of thy word, but also as by thy spirit we would answer the call that we might live by these words, Father, that we might indeed walk in the Spirit, that we might be enabled of Thee to honor the Lord Jesus in our living as those who have been united by faith to Him in His death and in His resurrection. Father, I pray that You'd aid us now. Glorify Thy Son in His worthy name. Amen. Well, tonight is Super Bowl Sunday. There's going to be a struggle taking place this evening between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. But there's a bigger struggle that takes place every day in the lives of believers. A struggle that is the colossal struggle between flesh and spirit. But the good news that Galatians 5 tells us is the battle has been won because of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us in redemption. And that, brothers and sisters, is what we want to consider somewhat this evening. Paul has been speaking about the fact in Galatians, particularly chapters 3 and 4, he's somewhat highlighted it from the standpoint of the history of God's purpose of grace and redemption going back to the covenant with Abraham and then coming to the Mosaic Covenant and then entering into this time of our Lord Jesus appearing, he has pointed out how we are free from the law. If you remember the situation of the churches at Galatia, there were those who had come, as often happened in Paul's ministry, there were those who came behind Paul who sought to preach basically to Paul's converts Paul preached as good as he knew for what he knew. He he was fair, but he didn't tell you the whole story. You need the law now to help you to do what you ought to do to live right. And Paul, as he confronted that, speaks very clearly about it in these words of Galatians, as well as in other letters too, but even the book of Acts chronicles some of the uh, controversy that Paul ran into relative to those who wanted to turn away the minds and the sight of the believers from Christ to something else. So Paul has dealt with that. And one thing that he points out to God's people, particularly in chapters 5 and 6, but it's even seen in that closing part of chapter 4 where he contrasts the children of Abraham, one by a bondmaid named Hagar, the other by the free woman, Sarah. And he points out that we who are saved are children of the free woman. We're not born to bondage as Hagar was. And Paul makes the point that Hagar represents Sinai and that those who rest in the law are placing themselves under bondage. Those who rest in Christ are brought to no freedom. As he brings that out, he begins with the uh, thought in verse 1 of chapter 5, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The idea is that we are free in Christ. And that becomes for us a hallmark. We celebrate as believers in this country our freedoms that we have. I know a brother who when we...
pray in a meeting in Raleigh where we preach, uh, prayer meeting time too. If he is called on to pray, it seems that he will not fail to mention the privilege we have to gather freely in our country. I think that's appropriate because we are blessed in this country to have freedom. We have that in a way that has been, I think, unparalleled in any other country on earth. And so we should be thankful. But as believers, in a similar way, we possess freedom as believers that is unlike anything that anyone has ever known in the way of liberty. Because we have that, we have to look rightly at our freedom. How are we going to live in relation to that freedom? How are we going to live it out? And that's what the apostle is addressing in verse 13. He's pointing out to God's people the reality that we've been called to liberty, called to freedom. Notice it please again there. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And in verses 13 through 15, the apostle brings out the priority of love. He brings out the primacy of love. He brings out the the importance of it as believers for us. And we think about what he says by way of framing the the call to liberty and framing the reality of how that should be lived out. And he speaks of the fact that we're not to use liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Some people would treat freedom in Christ that way. They would say, because we've been called to freedom, I have the right to live as I please. I've got the right to live in any way that I, I want to. Well... There's a a grain of truth to that, but you got to be careful how you apply it. It's a grain of truth in that if you live as you want to, but you're following the right want to. Follow me there. Because if we've been saved, we've been changed. If we've been saved, we've been given a new nature. If we've been changed, we've been brought into union with Christ. And that union with Christ leads us to a death to sin and a a life to righteousness. That's the kind of want to we need to follow. But the trickiness of it is seen in the fact that there's still that element in our lives that we have to, as God enables, fight against. And that, brothers and sisters, is something Paul will mention a little later. But in these verses, 13 through 15, he speaks of the priority of love. And as he does, he speaks about it this way. As he goes on to quote the words of Leviticus 19.18 and verse 14, he says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Now if you notice in the words of verse 13, we have liberty being an occasion to the flesh. We have in verse 13 the idea of the law being summarized or fulfilled by love. Now we think then really about two of the possibilities that confronted the Galatian saints but they really confront every believer. And that is, will I live in license? That is, will I live in such a way as to say, I'm going to follow whatever I want to follow to live. That would be license. That's what some would call licentiousness. 
the kind of lifestyle that says, I'll not be governed by anyone because I'm free. It's found its place in modern philosophy in the uh, philosophy of uh, Foucault, I believe his name is, and I'm not too good in my French, but uh, the, the gentleman who basically died as a libertine because he wanted to live life without any restraints. Well, that's not the life the child of God's called to live. But on the other hand, there's law. And law is something that the Galatians were trying to be pushed to by the the Judaizers. The idea of the law directing the life of the child of God. But it seems to me that the outcome of both law and license is brought out in verse 15. If ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. For you see, when the law becomes for us a standard, when we make law the basis of how we live, sometimes we become very pharisaical. We become very judgmental. We become very critical. Why? Because it's not really the fault of the law, it's the fault of our flesh. It's easier for me when I'm using the standard of law to see your faults than it is for me to see mine. And because of that, I can jump on you a lot easier than I can jump on myself. Now, that's just so, sadly. I think all of us recognize that. Uh, But as, as it is, Paul warns us about either extreme and tells us we're to walk by love. Why? Because love fulfills the law. Love looks inwardly, but love looks outwardly. And love looks upward. Our Lord Jesus, when He was asked, what are the two greatest commandments of the law in Matthew 22? Remember what He said? He quoted the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And He said, The greatest commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind and strength. And then He added, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbors. I self-quoting the words of Leviticus 19.18 that Paul here quotes. In other words, love, if we have the right love. Now I realize... Back in the 60s, they talked a whole lot about love, but they didn't really know what it was. You know, they talked about uh, a kind of love that was really more like license, more like like decadence, more like uh, an unbridled, unrestrained, wrong-headed spirit or feeling. But here Paul speaks about the love that is informed by God's Word the love that is informed by the truth content of Holy Scripture, and that kind of love will lead us to seeking the good of our brother and sister, seeking the glory of God, but also seeking my highest good. For seeking my highest good will not lead me to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Seeking my highest good will lead me to realize I'm a creature who was made in the image of God, and though fallen, I've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and now I'm to live as one who is to be renewed daily to become more like Him. And that, brothers and sisters, is the thought that we need to keep before us by God's grace. Now, as the Apostle brings this out, he again points out the priority of love. But then, interestingly... He goes on in speaking to God's people, 
with directives, with specific commands for them. But in doing so, he would present what I would call in verses 16 through 23, the polar opposites. And those polar opposites are flesh and spirit. Now, that's where the struggle that we speak of particularly comes in. Because you and I as believers still find ourselves living, as it were, between two worlds. We're not fully in the heavenly world yet. And yet, though we are in the flesh, we don't live in the flesh. Because by the grace of God, we've been removed from the flesh and placed into union with Christ Jesus. Now, this is something that uh, with time we could develop, but because of time's uh, aspect, we won't look at it much. But I want you to look at a statement of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 that I think will highlight what I want to say. In, in Romans the 7th chapter, the Apostle begins by speaking about the illustration of marriage and the law of a husband to a wife. He points out how that that wife is bound to the law of her husband as long as he lives or she lives. That's where Paul brings out the reality of what's happened to us in Christ. And he specifically here is speaking to believers who were under the law. And he speaks of how something has happened that has taken us from where we were to being joined to Jesus Christ. Look with me at Romans 7 and notice please verses 4 and 5. We can read add verse 6 as well, but particularly verse 5 is what I want to list before you. Paul writes by inspiration, verse 4 of Romans 7, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held, or that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of the letter. The apostle here uses an example. In chapter 6 he used the example of masters and of of enslavement, of who we were enslaved to and who we're enslaved to now. In chapter 7, the illustration moves from slavery to marriage because for the Jew, he was married to the law. He was wed to the law. And, And Paul points out that that union for the Jewish believers ended because he's now died in Christ. When Christ died for us, as Romans 6 says, we died. And as a result of that, we've died to sin. When Christ rose, we rose in Him. And now we've been raised to righteousness. Christ has died never to deal with sin again. In the life that He lived in the flesh, He came particularly as one who had come in the flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh, to deal with sin once for all a death blow. Thank God He's done that. And now, in union with Him... We've been raised to the kind of life that He has been raised to. Now, that's why Paul can say in verse 5, for when we were in the flesh, or let me read it again, 
for when we were in the flesh. Now here flesh doesn't mean flesh. Because it looks to me like every one of us here tonight are in the flesh in that sense. But we're not in the flesh in the sense of union with Adam. That's changed. The reign of sin and death in Adam is no longer what we live under. There's been a change of management, if you will. We're under new management. Now, the problem is though, that though we're no longer in the flesh, we're still in the flesh. In other words, we're no longer in that union with Adam, but as those who have moved from that union with Adam into union with Christ, we're still in this body. And because of that, we find oftentimes that we are beset by what is that colossal struggle that we mentioned as a title for our message tonight. If we go back to Galatians 5, brothers and sisters, I want you to notice how it's described there in the words of verse 17. They're interesting words because uh, it, it really it, in verses 16 through 18, the apostle speaks about the priorities that, that govern us. And uh, let me just go back to verse 16 again and read it, and we'll read through verse 18. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Paul gives the call to God's people to realize that we're to walk in the Spirit. And then as well, we're to be led of the Spirit. Why do we need that? Because as those who are in the flesh, we're presently caught between the two ages. So that on the one hand, we know that God has done a work and His Spirit lives in us and we have that heart to follow His Word. But on the other hand, still being in the flesh, we realize that there's that, I don't want to say slippery slope, but there's that downward grade that we often find ourselves confronting. And it's presented this way in verse 17, I think, with much, with really clarity. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. That is, the flesh desires contrary to the Spirit. But not only that, thank God, the Spirit desires contrary to the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other. They lie antithetical to one another. You can't follow the flesh and say you're following the Spirit. You can't follow the Spirit and say you're following the flesh. But it's the last line of verse 17 that is, may I say it this way, the kicker to me. So that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, as those who are in the Spirit, by the grace of God, being united to Christ, and yet still in the flesh as far as this body is concerned, we feel so oftentimes the pull. We feel the effects. We feel the, the, the downward pull, and we feel the upward pull. 
and we cannot do what we want. I love hymnody. I have a lot of hymnals. One of the hymnals I have features two hymns that I think capture well some of what Paul is saying in verse 17. One of them is a hymn written by John Newton. He wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me and many other great hymns and poems. John Newton wrote this hymn as well. Tis a point I long to know. Oft it causeth anxious thought. Do I love my Lord or no? Am I His or am I not? The same man that wrote How Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me He spoke about the struggle like that. Another hymn writer wrote, I am a stranger here below, and what I am tis hard to know. So foul, corrupt, and full of sin, I fear that I'm not born again. You mean a child of God could actually say that? Well, I think that one did. And sometimes we find ourselves beset like that. And I believe that's part of what Paul is telling God's people. You cannot do what you would. We feel the pull. We feel the struggle. We're caught between the ages as it were. We're caught between two worlds. What are we to do then? Well, in the midst of our life, we're to strive to walk in the Spirit. We're to do what? To be led by the Spirit. We're to, and what does Paul say in the words of Romans 8? For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Now later on, Paul will say in verse 25, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I think those words, live in the Spirit, there point out where you and I are in the life we live. We've been taken out of that union with Adam in the flesh, and we've been placed in Christ, and that's the realm of the Spirit. The the realm of the new age. The, The realm that one day we'll live in perfectly when we are united to Christ, body, soul, and spirit. And we're changed from the creature that we are. But even now, I'm living in the Spirit. And what am I to do? I'm to also walk in the Spirit. Now interestingly, in the words of verse 25, the Greek word is different from the word that's found in verse 16. Uh, The word in verse 16 is the common word for walk. Uh, It's uh, the word uh, peripateo. Uh, Or if you want to, peripateo, if you prefer to say it a little bit differently. The the word in verse uh, 25 is the word stoicheia. It has the idea of, well, the word itself is used in its root of a child learning his ABCs. The elements. And I believe that when you transfer that to walking, it's something that sometimes I've got to learn again as a believer. We've had the privilege of having two grandchildren. And I, it's grand. I, if I hadn't told you before, let me tell you, it's grand. Uh, and we've got a granddaughter on the way, and Terry hadn't come down to earth yet, you know. She, she'd been so excited and thrilled. 
but it was interesting as we went through again, you know, Terry and I had six children, so we'd been that way before, but it was interesting to see it again with our grandchildren, them learning to walk. And Judah, our younger grandson, he, he walks well, but, but he's not quite as adept as Grayson. But I can remember, since he's the more recent of the two, watching him. And, 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 and you know, I believe there's in this word that is used for walk in verse 25, there's the idea of baby steps. In other words, like that word has the idea of learning the ABCs, there's that idea that we learn to walk and we're to keep in step. And the idea is found in the book of Hosea of God speaking to Ephraim and how he said about Ephraim that when Ephraim was a child, I took him by the hands walking. And you know that's what a parent does when they teach a child to walk. They take that child by the hand and they take baby steps with them. Well, I believe that's somewhat of the idea of how you and I are to keep in step with the Spirit. As we are led by the Spirit, as the Spirit takes us by the hands and helps us walk, we, we learn to take steps that walk, follow the, the guidance and leadership of the Spirit of God in our lives in obedience to the Word of God. And we seek to realize as He works in our hearts and in our minds, we seek to realize the fullness of what it is to have died with Christ to sin and to have been raised to walk in newness of life. And I remind you, Paul says in Romans 6, raised to walk in newness of life. And so it is the Spirit of God leads us, brothers and sisters, in that walk. But we find ourselves in the tension of it so often. Because there's still that downward pull of living in the flesh. There's that upward pull of living in the Spirit. And so we we meet with that. Now, as Paul speaks by inspiration about this, he goes on to outline for us the products of the flesh and spirit. He speaks of the works of the flesh in verses 19 through 21. He speaks of the fruit of the spirit in verses 22 and 23. I believe that's significant. The fruit of the spirit is something that you and I can't manufacture. The fruit of the spirit is something that he must produce. The works of the flesh are something you and I, as, as, as sinners in Adam, we can produce. They come quite naturally to us. And we're, we're told what those works are, and we're told that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who make a practice of them and live in them, they're not going to inherit God's kingdom. That's a warning. That's a word that we should take seriously. That's a word that speaks of the fact that the flesh cannot be followed in the life of the child of God without intermission and without interruption. There's a lifestyle that the Spirit of God will pull us away from and will rain us away from. And we as God's people are to be led of the Spirit. Now sometimes we don't follow the leadership of the Spirit of God in our lives. 
Sometimes we dishonor the Lord. And that's what we as His people have to seek to keep short account accounts of and seek to honor Him and to do what God would have us to do in living for Him. So the Lord Jesus is exalted as we do that. And He's glorified as we live in that union with Him in death and in resurrection. Now, as the Spirit of God highlights what those works of the flesh are, we could just read them again as we did. Let me do that because they, they speak of the kind of lifestyle that God's people not only are not to manifest, but according to Scripture will not manifest. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. They're obvious. They're evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before as I have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Strong words. They speak of a reality that would have, I believe, as Paul would have preached there in the region of central Turkey as we know it, where the churches of Galatia were, when he first went with the gospel there, as Dr. Luke records in Acts 13, I believe they would have cut against the grain of the lifestyle of the society of Paul's day. They still cut against the grain of the lifestyle of our society and the culture of our day. And we as God's people are to be those who seek to honor God by saying no to the flesh because this is ultimately where the flesh leads. This is ultimately where the flesh directs and would take us we say no to that. In contrast, we are shown the, the product of the Spirit, the produce of the Spirit, the Spirit of God who is able to produce fruit in us. Now again, it's His fruit. And that's why I think the contrast, even in the words, the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit. If you saw a fig tree... You could talk to that fig tree. I don't think you'd find it going... And you interviewed that fig tree. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to produce some figs. (laughs) I, I don't think that'd be the case. In other words, the sap of the Spirit of God flowing in the life of the believer will produce these things. And we need to by the grace of God, see them abundant in our lives. We need to see them produced by the grace of God so that we have these realities. Let's notice them again, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Those are the things we need to see in our lives by the grace of God. Through the work of the Spirit as He would produce in us. And ultimately when we think about this ninefold fruit of the Spirit, if it's in us, really ultimately that's Christ's likeness. Likeness to the Lord Jesus. Because 
if there was ever one in whom the fruit of the Spirit superabounded. They had a bumper crop, if you will. It was in the life of our Savior. For He was one who was characterized by these things. And we had been made His. And it's on that note that the Apostle ends in verses 24 through 26 in some measure repeating some of what we saw in that last portion of uh, Galatians 5. Walk in the Spirit, be led of the Spirit. And we read these words, verses 24 through 26. And they that are Christ, that is they that belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. I'd like to point out first of all in regard to verse 24, when Paul makes the point by the inspiration of God's Spirit, those who belong to Christ, they that are Christ, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. I would say to you, I do not believe he's pointing to something that we do. He's pointing to something that according to Romans 6, God has done for us in union with Christ. Please go back with me to Romans 6 and notice the words there of that chapter that I believe would highlight and underscore the truth of Galatians 5.24. Romans chapter 6. And in chapter 5, if you remember, that really I think a pivot point of the book of Romans, verses 12 through 21, the Adam-Christ contrast and what our union with Adam meant and what our union with Christ means brought out there in verses 12 through 21 of Romans 5. Now, in the light of that, the Spirit of God goes on to say through Paul in Romans 6.1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now notice the answer. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The picture here of the Spirit of God is that of those who have died with Christ in union with Him in His death, and been raised with Christ in union with Him in His resurrection. And what does baptism picture? Baptism outwardly pictures that reality. How? By being a burial. Now, there are some who would try to tell us that baptism here is, is that which is essential to salvation. Well, that text itself won't bear that weight. Romans 6 won't support that because baptism is what? A burial. A burial of what? Of people who are already dead. You don't bury a man to kill him. You bury him a man because he's already dead. In other words, it's the union with Christ that affects the death. Baptism becomes a picture of that. Because it says, I'm taking this dead man now and I'm going to bury him. 
And as we come up out of the water, we're saying, I've been raised now in union with Christ in His resurrection. I've been raised to walk in newness of life. So when Paul says in Galatians 5.44, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. He's in effect taking us back to this truth of our union with Christ and the fact that that union means I'm dead to sin. What we're to do now by the grace of God is live that out as we live in the Spirit. And that's what we find in those words going back to Galatians chapter 5, brothers and sisters. We find in Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, that is if we've been taken out of the flesh, out of union with Adam, placed in the Spirit in the union with Christ, we're now to walk in the Spirit. Oh, it may start with baby steps. But one thing I know, I need the Spirit of God to hold my hands so that I can do that. I need the Spirit of God to to help me so that I can take the baby steps that will produce in me likeness to the Son so that my life will be tempered by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc. That's what we need. And so, as the Apostle says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. He goes on to say on the negative side, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. It reminds me of those words of verse 15 earlier in this chapter. If ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one another. A life lived in the flesh will produce that kind of lifestyle. And that's what we don't want as God's people. We want the kind of lifestyle that's going to honor Christ. That's going to show the supreme worth of our Savior. The supreme value and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God grant that that would be the case in our lives. And that we would magnify Him in the power of the Spirit. Now, I mean shift over to another epistle that comes right along with Galatians. In Ephesians 5, we're told what we're to do. You remember the words of verse 18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, I need the Spirit to control me just like alcohol controls a man when he's drunken. I need the Spirit of God to fill me. I need the Spirit of God to influence me, influence my mind, influence my heart, influence my tongue, influence my walk, because a man who's drunken is infected in every part of his body like that. His mind, his speech, his walk, his life is impacted by that alcohol. And similarly, may we be filled with the Spirit of God and may we honor the Lord Jesus Christ in our living and magnify Him.